When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast, um, the uh, show that brings you all the latest from the week gone past and looking forward to the weekend ahead. An esteemed company, uh, my rich colleagues, Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, um, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star, Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, guys, on the Football Digest podcast this week. Lots to lots to uh, get stuck into, really. Reaction to uh, Chelsea Atletico last night, uh, where a couple of us w- were, and perhaps looking forward also to the Champions League draw on Friday. Uh, England squad later, so that's uh, interesting. And um, and we're going to have a little bit, hopefully have a little bit of fun at the end, um, sort of about press conferences as well, perhaps. Uh, so uh, please join us for that. Um, but listen, let's start with last night's action. Um, and in, in particular, Chelsea v Atletico. It was quite interesting that Thomas Tuchel um, said after the game that basically we shouldn't be afraid of anyone and no one will want to face us. Matt, you were there with me last night at Stamford Bridge. So what did you make of A, Chelsea's performance last night? And is, is Tuchel right to be so bullish? I, I guess he's, he's got the stats to prove it at the moment. I'm beaten in 13 games. What a start for him. I was going to say, you wouldn't want to be next out of the hat and told it's your turn to try and beat them. Right right now, I thought they were really good last night. I have to say, I thought Atletico were poor, but I think that's partly because uh, Chelsea made them poor. Uh, didn't give them anything from the first whistle. Uh, and yeah, he was also said last night that, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they were already put a physical challenge that anyone's going to throw at them. And I think when you go to Stamford Bridge now, especially, and also in the away games, you're going to have a fight on your hands if you're going to you know, come through any two-legged tie. Um, and there's a certain amount of belief there. Kante's back to the old Kante. I thought he was exceptional last night. Uh, every time I sort of glanced up from writing, he seemed to be on the ball, whether it was at right back, left wing, wherever, he just seemed to be in the middle of everything. And, you know, and you just saw him build everything. And, and you know, it worked. Given they're not supposed to be able to score any goals, they got a couple um, without Mason Mount or Tammy Abraham in the team. And yeah, there was very little you could say. I mean, they were dead lucky with the penalty, I think. It was, although yeah. I have to say, before VAR, that's never a penalty in the, in the old school. Because I, I was lucky, you know, how they stretch us out all the way along the pitch of Stamford Bridge. I think I was a bit further along from you. But it happened directly, literally directly in front of me. And you could see the smile on his face as he was looking at the assistant as he went down. And yeah, it was one of those that, yes, there was an arm across his, his sort of tummy, but almost to save himself from hurting himself because he was so determined to throw himself to the ground. You know, it was one of those that you'd never have given in the old days. But but yeah, VAR in a different night might have made it a very different game. And then who knows, we're, we're then saying Tuchel's a myth and, uh, you know, it's all a busted flush and it's all over for Chelsea. But but no, until that happens... But they didn't I, even check it, Matt. They didn't even check it, well, did they? We, we we didn't see it. They didn't ask. I'm sure they checked it. I'm sure they didn't ask the referee to look again. Well, my but, learned friends at BT Sport were suggesting on the match coverage, so I'm reliably informed that unless it was a um, unless it was a major incident, 
then perhaps they don't. Well, perhaps that's been a bit disingenuous. They don't check it in the in the kind of the um, you know vigorous way that we might do in, in the Premier League. A little casual look, um, perhaps rather. Yeah, than I think that's was, probably you know, what they said. Check, and they said you know. Do you know what? You 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 don't have to give that mainly because they're probably in that casual look. All I could see was the imploring look on um, Carrasco's face. Mm. Uh, as he went down, and it was just an old school attempt to, to win a penalty cheaply. You know, if you believe in yourself, stay on your feet, go past him. He's clearly mucked up on his back pass. Um, you know, go and put the ball in the net. But but yeah, it was kind of a, a brief moment of old school football kicking in in this modern world, which you think, you know, yeah, I, I was pleased to see it anyway. Uh, and I think in the end, the right result was was achieved as a result of it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And Andy, what do you uh, what do you think? I know you, you know Thomas Tuchel now. Is he right to have that kind of really confident assertion that Chelsea can you know be serious players in this competition? Um, well, you'd be surprised if he wasn't confident. What I would say is that I, I read all those. Uh, I read it. You know, I read it many many times that you know no one will be happy or um, if they draw Chelsea out the hat tomorrow, which I guess might be right, but I guess no one will be happy if they draw Bayern Munich out of the hat tomorrow. <laughs> I wouldn't be overly happy if I drew Manchester City out of the hat tomorrow. I wouldn't be absolutely dancing for joy if I drew Liverpool out of the hat, etc., etc. You know, I mean, I mean, it's a cliche, but there are no easy draws tomorrow. And certainly, uh, if you had to choose between Chelsea and Man City, I- I'll bet you the other six will probably choose Chelsea even though they're on this unbeaten run. Um, I saw Chelsea last week at uh, Ellen Road, um, and I was quite impressed. I've been quite impressed the number of times I've seen them mm. under Tuchel. I just think it's a bit early to go overboard, um, like everyone went overboard about Frank Lampard in the previous regime. So I think you know people maybe should heed a lesson there, and maybe let's see over a longer piece about, about how he does. Um, I still think there's an issue in terms of getting the best out and going forward. But, you know, it's, it's just starting. It really, really is just the, the beginning of... What I would say is that, is that what I, I do look at them and I think, you know what, in terms of physical fitness, which I think will be more and more important as this season wears on, I really do. I just think physical durability will be absolutely key to what happens towards the end of this season. And Chelsea look absolutely in great condition. You know, there's a, I did see them away when they won at Anfield. And I thought one of the big differences was they looked fitter. They looked faster. They looked sharper. You know, their movement was, was great. You know, they, again, they matched Leeds United, for example, for their physical commitments and movements on Saturday, um, which is some going. And I think that's, I mean, they've really bought into that. You know, it's very much a modern way. Um, and they've really bought into that. So, yes, they'll be they'll, they'll be tough. You know, I wouldn't go overboard. Uh, I would still have them down, you know, as behind City um, and sitting behind Bayern Munich in the bookmaker's odds. I don't know what they are, but, I, but I'm guessing they'll be sort of, you, know, you wouldn't want to draw any of those teams, would you? So I think that's a bit, you know, Yes, they can be confident, but I would just for the minute just temper the um, the accolades for Tuchel. Mm, foot on the ball, foot on, foot the, on ball. the ball, mate. Yeah, yes, I'm, yeah. I mean foot on the ball. I, I, I love what, what Matt says about Kante. He has been superb, and yeah. it's funny. I think one of our one of our colleagues, I can't remember which one who it was, and, and I do him a disservice. It was was it Philippe O'Claire? One of our who basically said that like, this idea that Kante is everywhere. He's not. He's just always in the right place at the right time again. 
and that, and that's exactly what he's doing. And you know, I'm, I bear in mind he didn't even I don't think he even started the game at, at Ellen Road. So they've got a squad whose depth probably doesn't quite match Manchester City's, but it's not far off. Yeah, no, it is, it is a remarkable um, transformation and can take, you know, fancy that playing him in his best position, uh, midfield anchor man. <laughs> it will never catch on. Um, <laughs> he's Europe's best anchor man, arguably, and fancy that. He plays really well when he plays there. Uh, Jeremy, do, do, where do you, you know, the, the draw is tomorrow. It, it, it's three English teams out of eight. I do still think that last year, you know, a lot of people fell, I'm sure you didn't, my friend, but uh, fell into the trap of kind of, you know, almost overlooking Bayern Munich, who then, you know, proved to be the best team by some distance in Europe, didn't they, uh, ultimately? Where, where is the power this year? Who, who, who are the favourites? Do, you know, does this represent a, a sort of a, a power shift back towards English football, dominated sort of rounds in previous years? Where, where do you see it? Not really. I mean, we we flirt with these latter stages of the competition, don't we? I mean, we had two teams in the final two years ago with Liverpool and Tottenham, which was a dreadful final. We were all there. It's a, it's a rubbish game. But no, look, Bayern, I think Bayern, I was looking at their, they obviously breezed through last night. I think they're unbeaten in something like 21 Champions League games now. Mm. So while they appear to go through the motions at home in the Bundesliga, um, in Europe, it's um, it's a different monster. So I think they're the team to beat. City, obviously, a lot of people are tipping them this season, and there are various reasons why they should go on and at least get to the final. I worry for City's if they played Bayern Munich over two legs, they might come a cropper. I think they might beat them in a one-off game, but over two legs, I think Bayern might be too strong for City. But I don't know. City are such a hard sort of, they're a conundrum, are they, in Europe? They, they, they do this every year. They get through to the quarterfinals with ease. And then Guardiola starts tinkering with his team selection and tactics and it all implodes. I mean, the fact he's not gotten past the quarterfinals is remarkable, really, when you think about it. All the success he's had, all the players yeah. he's had at his disposal, all the money he's spent. To not even get to the last four, he's staggering, really. And it's a monkey on his back. It really is. You know, look, he, he whatever happened between now and leaving <laughs> City, he would leave a legacy of countless trophies. But if he never wins a Champions League, that will be a stain on his um, reputation. Mm. So the pressure's on City um, and, you know, they really need to step up. But like Dunny said, you look at the teams left in, it's, 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 this, is where the, this is when the Champions League is, mm. it starts to become worth watching, really. The problem for City is, and other teams, no doubt, they've played, they've played some sides that are just not on their level. They're not mm. being tested. I mean, <laughs> they got through so easily um, this week. It was embarrassing to watch almost. It's like watching a Premier League game against a League One team in the FA Cup. Yeah. So, you know, they are, they're not battle-hardened when they get to the quarterfinals and sometimes it can cost them. Mm. And obviously, they could draw Liverpool, they could draw Chelsea. I mean, if they drew Liverpool, obviously they've got a, gone out to Liverpool a couple of times. So, um, yeah, it should be interesting. It, whatever happens in the draw, there'll be some fantastic games. Mm. I'll tell you what, Edison could have put his feet up the other night. 
And frankly, Jeremy, you yeah. deserve a great deal of credit for keeping your focus well enough. It was such a one-sided match to, to keep your focus, pal, for the match before. Right to the end, John. <laughs> Clinical. <laughs> <laughs> at least 80 minutes. And I had a gin and tonic at half time as well. It still didn't, still didn't affect me. Well, I have to say, I do think your second half. I'm not kidding. Better, right. better, so maybe you should I, make it I, better, I, better, I put I put a Saki tweet out during the second half saying, I reckon City could have played without a goalkeeper in that game and still won. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they were so dominant. I reckon they could have had a rush goalie and still gone through. Yeah, I mean, Mönchengladbach are in a mess, aren't they? I felt sorry for them. I mean, yeah. seven, they're obviously in a horrific slump. Yeah. The manager, Marcus Rose, Marco Rose, has obviously decided to announce his leaving, so... You know, that's clearly affected the players. They've yeah. lost seven games on the trot now. I think the 10th in Bundesliga. I felt sorry for them, really, because they were so happy to get through for the first time ever to the last to the last 16 stage. And obviously it backfired on them because the play yeah. came up against the City side. It just gave them a, a complete schooling and it was embarrassing, really. Mm. And, and listen, listen, don't forget, don't forget, City do this to Premier League teams. And, and yeah. know, let, let's not get too... Um, like snooty about about standard of Bundesliga City you know City beat Burnley by five as a matter of course don't they you know, normally this, this happens you know City have scored 100 whatever goals it is across all competitions that was the highlight of the night wasn't it trying to add up how many goals they'd scored and and they, um, uh, they've scored you know so they're doing it to a lot of sides you know they're a phenomenally good side um, but I, I agree with Jeremy I do, I, do, I, do, I do think, you know, whether or not they're going to be battle-hardened for what could be, you know, what will be, you know, a mega test in the quarterfinals. You don't know. Yeah. On, the only thing I think about that, Andy, is that, and it's an interesting point, is that, you know, without wanting to be little England in here, because I do actually watch a hell of a lot of, you know, European football generally, I just don't mm. understand why, you know, Leipzig, who have been, you know, often... In in last two or three seasons, um, uh, Munich's sort of kind of biggest, yeah. uh, you know, uh, rivals really uh, for for silverware and biggest competitors, and indeed Atletico, who have you know had a really extraordinary um, uh, sort of season. Uh, yeah. the form's falling away slightly. Um, the a little, uh, you know, a little bit. Um, of late, I was just so surprised that they offered so little as as, as competition um, for for Chelsea. I just don't understand it. You know, I don't know whether what that says is a reflection. I mean, Real, I watched the Real Madrid game for for a lot of the other night, and I was distinctly underwhelmed by them. You know, it's in, in Barcelona in crisis. It's strange. It's a strange European sphere this year. You know, in terms of like the leading oh. leading lights, and and that's what makes me. You the know, thing is, we've had a conversation now for ten minutes about the Champions League. We've not even mentioned the fact Real Madrid are in the in the hat. Yeah, you know, the, the, the most successful team ever in Europe. They are yeah. perennial challengers, but we've not even mentioned them. Mm. Yeah, Real Madrid. I, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Yeah, you're right, Real Madrid. You know, I mean. Yeah. And, and and we're talking big, big. You know, every one of these teams are, are giants of European football. And I'm, I'm answering your question, John. I just guess it's it's like you know, let's go Madrid. Okay, well they were beaten by Chelsea, but you know that's about. There's no surprise there. Wouldn't have been surprised if they'd beaten Chelsea. You know, it was quite close mm. for a lot of across a lot of the year, uh, 180 minutes. So I, I guess 
And that's Andy, isn't it? That's the beauty of it. They've all got them to that last eight by sporting merit, form, winning football matches. So yeah. when all this talk's going on about, you know, places based on yeah. coefficients and everything, it kicks out the water. It also shows you, as Jeremy said, the rest of the tournament to this point has been pretty ordinary. We're not interested yeah. in numbers nine to 36. It's about the best teams in Europe facing off against each other. And, you know, and when I looked at that, the, the survivors, they put it up on, I think, the BBC feed last night. So these are the eight names in the hatch. You look at that and think, yeah, come on, I'm going to look forward to watching yes. that. And so too can Juventus look forward to watching that. And so too can Barcelona. And that's the way it has to be. You know, you're yes. good enough to be there. You're in there. If you're not good enough, you don't just yeah. fight your way in or go in through the back door. Yeah. Let's keep it to football. And, and, and that's all the Champions League needs to keep doing, serving up quarterfinal draws like this one. Who's your money on crossing? Arsenal. It's it. Go on, go on, John. Again, no, look, I, I, I'll be perfectly honest by Munich. I, yeah. I just felt like last, e- last season, I remember when, when you know... Yeah, I saw Bayern Munich a couple of a couple of times earlier earlier in earlier in the competition. Uh, you, you know what was it against against Tottenham, wasn't it? And then basically, mm. um, you, you know, um, uh, uh, and then and then you know, I just thought that their their performance actually at Stamford Bridge in that first leg, I just left that game, and then obviously we had the big break between the two games, clearly. And I just thought, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, no one's going to stop these guys. And I basically, I couldn't, I couldn't quite understand why we went through the latter stages of that competition with everyone saying, "Oh, Man City are favourites." You know, the favourites were the bookies, as they were, you know, despite having a sort of an indifferent season domestically. Um, you know, and having seen them, as I say, you know, in the past couple of seasons, you know, destroy. English opposition I just thought mm. then no one's going to no one's going to stop them and I just think they've basically potentially got got a little bit stronger again. I think yeah I, I think it's funny about City because I, I think City is it, it really is going to be fascinating with them mm. fighting on four fronts and I think I'm looking at that team the other night I think the big thing for City in the Champions League and Jeremy referenced the fact that you know, he starts tinkering with his teams, etc. when it comes down to this stage. And he will have to, and he does anyway. You know, he's probably making half a dozen changes per game now, isn't he, at the moment? And I think that's going to be the key, but it'll come down to is, is it what team does he play? Let's say he draws Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. What team does he play? What is, he's going to have to decide what his mm. best team is, because his best team is the one that he'll need to win the Champions League. And at the moment, you're looking at it and you're thinking, what is it? And, and strangely enough, those of us who were, who were sort of doing what we call a second piece from the game, I mean, obviously, like so Jeremy um, and our, our colleague David um, were doing the match reports on the game. And those of us who were just trying to find something else to write about on Tuesday night, a lot of us focused in on on someone who wasn't playing. That was Raheem Sterling. Yeah. You know, and his situation, you know, does, does Sterling make Pep Guardiola's best 11 at the moment? You know, and it's a fascinating question in the sense that he's going to have to decide this when he comes to the big, big games in the Champions League. Who makes it there? You know, it's okay marveling at his bench. He's got, you know, 10 brilliant players on the bench, but he's going to have to pick the best 11. You know, the thing to, is, as well, Dunny, if you remember it, back to last season when they played Leon, he almost sent a team out 
that was more concerned with what Leon yes. were going to do, how they were going to play, instead of focusing on what they could do to to Leon. It, it, yeah. it was the flip side of that, and it, it cost them dearly, and they were embarrassed in the end. Now he shouldn't be doing that because he's got a vast array of talent at his disposal. And he should be confident in being able to pick a team that he thinks can go out there and impose themselves on any side, including Bayern Munich. You don't think like that. You, you, you shouldn't be in the competition. So mm. when I see someone like Tuchel saying, we, we, can, we, can, we can go on and win this, we can, we can do well. It's refreshing, I think. So whenever he yes. was asked about winning the Champions League, he just hides away. Yeah, we hide away from the quadruple at the moment as well. Yeah, but, but, you know. but why not? Why? I mean, yeah. you know, in this in, before the game this week, Zinchenko was the player put up for us. We asked him about the quadruple. He said, "Why not? You know, we, we, why not? We, we can do it." And then yeah. Guardiola came in and said, "Was asked, told what um, Zinchenko had said, and he hit the roof basically and said he shouldn't be saying stuff like that. Basically, he needs to focus on to this game and not." Yeah, start dreaming of what a quadruple. He's, he needs to focus on getting himself a game. Some stage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but the point is, if you think you can do something, you shouldn't be afraid to say it. Yeah. you know, you shouldn't. Yeah, try and not lie, but just hide away. I don't, so fair play to Tuchel for standing up and saying, "Why can't we go and win?" I think I think that lays down a challenge to the players. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think that's a good. I think that can yeah. work mentally, you know, get, it gets into the mindset, you know. Don't, yeah. don't that's right. Do you remember? Do you remember? He's not afraid of that, though, is he? Because he set down that 100 point mark for his players. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he's not afraid of setting them. So I think he's just worried about them thinking big picture and not it's, focusing. Yeah. Oh, this is an easy one. We're pushing for the quadruple. Mm-hmm. We can knock these over and then play. He just wants some focusing at the here and now. <laughs> uh, I do kind of understand that. Yeah, do you remember? Do you remember in in, in the run up to the summer of two thousand eighteen? You know, England players were were actually under orders to say they can win the World Cup, weren't they? Do you remember? We, yes, you know, yes, we, we yes. would always throw in the question, "Can you win the World Cup?" And if someone just actually nods or shrugs or picks his nose or <laughs> sort of looks sort of vaguely positive in response to your inane question about whether you got win the World Cup, you go, yes, you know, with so and so, Harry Kane says, "Bring it on!" You know, cry. Right, King George or whatever you call it, we're going to win the World Cup. And actually, you know, in the past, so people have said to them, "Listen, don't say that. Don't say you can win the World Cup. They'll all think we're arrogant, like you know, whatever." Yeah. And this time around, at the last World Cup, the thing was, don't shy away from saying we can win the World Cup because, after all, that's what you're there for. And I think that's right. You know, after all, that is what you're there for is to win every tournament. That's what City are there for to win every competition they go in. Hence, every competition they're in adds up to the quadruple. So it is like, you know, I'd rather have them say that and go, like, you know, in each game. I mean, it literally does feel now, I think, this season, that the taking each game as it comes um, philosophy in line has just reached peak levels, hasn't it? It really yeah. has. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just... I'll tell you what, one of the ones that really made me laugh, I think, from the, from the 2018 yeah. World Cup, talking about building up expectations. We'll come up on sort of line about sort of the press and press conferences. Oh, we did it. It was lazy. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. So basically, basically, before England played Croatia in the, in the, in the World Cup semi-final, now, we were all there, right, guys? Yes. And basically, I remember... Be England players and England management being so respectful about Croatia and yes. basically, you know, saying saying that what a good team they were, really, really yes. sort of kind of, you know, doing anything but but talking them down. And then you had Luka Modric talking Luka about Modric. The disrespect, disrespect of the England players and England set up and the English press. <laughs> Everyone was really obsessed no about, wasn't it? At all. It's in your imagination, Luka. Oh, yeah. 
they could have been more respectful had they turned up in red and white check, couldn't they? You, you know, yeah. it, it was just absolutely ridiculous. But I think it was the footballs coming home, wasn't it? It's probably us yeah. you actually complaining about. And then I, I kind of went into war with kind of, you know, our erstwhile friends from sort of the other sort of um, uh, parts of the media in sort of other other countries, and they said, "Oh, you know, you're arrogant because of the England, you know, football's coming home." It's no, you've lived here how long, and you still don't understand the sort of kind of meaning of this song, anyway. Yes. Anyway, anyway, I, anyway, and we should we should also get on to just tying in with Man City. There, I do think um, uh, Man City obviously going to perhaps. Uh, into the the FA Cup tie this weekend, Everton Man City, mm. and what a, what a test that is! I mean, Ever- Everton have you know had some ups and downs um, but uh, recently, and you know obviously most notably last weekend with Burnley. But I think we all know that they are very capable this season of, of, of producing good performance. Not so much at Goodison, it has to be said, but mm. um, but you know that that. This is a bit. It feels like a really big tie and a massive test, isn't it, for for, for City and indeed Everton? It's going to be. Hopefully, you know, you mentioned Everton's form at Goodison. One of the best of performances at Goodison um, was actually in, was in the FA Cup against Spurs. Um, you know, the um, the five four, um, and it, it, it's you know that was as good as they played probably in patches. Other than that, you know, they've been pretty underwhelming in some games, not bad um, in others. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's big, this is for Everton. You know, the quarterfinal of, of the FA Cup is, is it's, I remember when they were in the quarterfinals against um, Wigan Athletic and, you know, it was almost a given that Everton would, would get through. And they didn't. And, and that, was, that was a blow to them that they, they took a long while to recover from. And so I think I think it's a really, really, you know, this is a game that Everton will will obviously be be really motivated for, but then so will City because for all the Pep says there's no Q words, the Q words banned, they will be thinking about it. So it should be a cracking game. You have to say though, I mean, you know, it is just so hard to see to see City slipping up. Um, you know, I mean, obviously they were beaten by United, but you know they've won what, what is it now? Twenty four out of the last twenty five games. It's remarkable. No, it is, it is absolutely astonishing. Matt, Matt, do you see, you know, do, do, do you see another City win, Everton? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Andy. I think it's hard to back against the City win at the moment. Now they seem to have got their defence sorted out. Um, it's another City that I'm intrigued by in the FA Cup this weekend, though. That's the City. I wonder if this is his chance to, Brennan's chance to get a get a trophy to to go with, you know, the good work he's been doing out. It's when it comes down to this sort of stage of the competition that you write off the FA Cup, but you realise that actually Solskjaer could do with a trophy. Brendan Rodgers would like to win one. Uh, and suddenly it, it all becomes a bit more serious. But but that's the other tie, I think, that, that is of particular interest because I mm. think the competition winner is going to come from one of those two quarterfinals. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. I don't know who you're talking about when you say people write off the FA Cup. I certainly don't. Certainly not um, no, 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 no. And I must have just noticed you're obviously not in your Rothmans room. Well, kids yeah. back school. It's I come out of my little Zoom cupboard. Oh, okay. Freedom. Okay. Well, it's so, uh, so lovely, yeah. to, lovely to see this change yeah. done. Pack the kids off. The, the done mansion in all its glory. So, yes, I creep out of my cubby hole. Right, very and, good. Uh, yes, where I've been hibernating all winter. Right, They're excellent, excellent. Pleased to see uh, Jeremy. I mean, obviously, Man United. You, you know, as we record this, Man United are playing tonight in in the Europa League. But I do think that's a very good point. You know, it's, it feels like it's 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 
you know, Brendan Rodgers done such a good job at Leicester, you know, but it would be great for him, I guess, to, to put down a marker of, of that kind of progress that he's made at the King Power. And then for Man United, I mean, you know, until Solskjaer wins a trophy, I do still think we'll be, we'll be always having this, you know, conversation about Solskjaer, won't we, really? Do, do, do you see it as an absolute necessity for, for Solskjaer to win a trophy uh, this season? Well, yeah, because ultimately that's how many we judge, well, I judge managers on how many trophies they've won. Mm-hmm. Look, there are, there are great managers who don't win trophies, but but the cream of the crop do. They win the games that count. They mm. lost three semi-finals last year. Um, so, you know, there's more pressure on Solskjaer heading into this weekend than there is on Rodgers. I mean, I think Rodgers, look, it would be great if he could get Leicester to a cup final, even win it, because he's done a fantastic job there. And that would be recognition um, of what he's achieved there since he took yeah. over. But really, you know, Leicester's priority for me is finishing in the top four and getting in the Champions League. Anything else is a bonus, really. Whereas at United, it's totally different because winning trophies is part of that club. It's what fans expect. They don't hope. They expect to win trophies. Mm. I've not won one since 2017, which is four years ago. I mean, that's that's a long time for a club of United's history and standing in the game to go without winning anything of any note. So mm. it's pressure. It's, it's The longer it goes on, the more pressure it, it will be on Solskjaer's souls and it will be a black mark against his name. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think right. There's huge pressure on the fans. Got a huge pressure on the fans for for Solskjaer to win a trophy. What what I don't think, uh, and I think slightly bizarrely, is I don't think there's huge pressure from the people who decide whether uh, you know he stays in the job or not. Mm. I don't think there's huge pressure from those people as long as he finishes top four. So the pressure from Ed Woodward, the fresh, the pressure from the Glazers. I mean, is top four. I honestly think that if he if Solskjaer finishes top four, that is fine by them. That's that's enough by them. When they made this um, these the, the recent appointments, you know, um, as technical director um, mm. and football director, and you've got Ed Woodward and then Solskjaer, it's, it's, it seems to me that they you know they, they they're happy with that setup and happy mm. with Solskjaer's part in that setup. It's quite a cozy little now. Sort of four ball to a certain extent, and they're happy with that. The only the only thing that can that can cause a problem is if they don't qualify for the Champions League. So I think actually Solskjaer, while he must be aware that, that, that you know what Jeremy says is right, it's under enormous pressure from their huge fan base to win trophies, and that's what Manchester United should be all about. Mm-hmm. While he must feel that, I, I suspect he actually knows from his own personal point of view in terms of job security in terms of um, the most important thing he has to deliver for the small but select few, i.e. Edward Wood, the Glazers and the shareholders is top four football. And that, you know, if you said to, if you said to Edward Wood, if you said to the Glazers now, okay, you've got, you know, here's the two options. You know, you win the FA Cup, but you don't qualify for the Champions League. Or you finish top four and qualify for the Champions League, but you don't win the FA Cup. I think we all know exactly which one they'd be uh, going for, and it wouldn't be the tradition, history, and glory of the beloved FA Cup. No, I've got to remember, Crossy, that Mourinho, although it didn't last that long at Man United, mm. it all turned sour. He won two trophies. Yeah, you know, yeah. he hasn't to talk about it, does he? No, oh, no, no, no. He won three trophies, did he not? Three trophies. Well, because two, two obviously, we're including finishing second. 
<laughs> no, you know, it's his greatest achievement. <laughs> no, but you know that that I'm joking. It was never going to be a glorious ten year spell for Mourinho at um, United, but he he did a reasonably good job. You know, won the Europa yeah. League to get them into the Champions League. Yes, which winning the Europa League, I know it's a much maligned competition. It seems to last forever. <laughs> But it's a hell of an achievement winning the Europa League because it's such a slog. Yeah. And you yeah. knew he had to do it yeah. Yeah. to get them back and in the Champions League and he did it. doesn't like to mention much is the fact that he's won it every time he's been in it. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. I, I don't like to mention that much either. No, 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 I agree. And and the other thing was about that season, Jeremy, is that basically, you, you know, you touched on it there, is that basically, I, I remember going to the game at Southampton when Man United effectively wrote the game off. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I can't remember whether they, they, they won or drew in the end. I think they drew, but it was towards the end of the season and 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 frankly, you know, didn't play particularly well. But mm. he put all his eggs in the Europa League basket because he felt that basically that was a better chance and more guaranteed of, of, of you know, getting them back in the Champions League next season. Yeah, fair play to him. Yeah. And what's wrong, Matt? What is wrong with, with, with reminding people of your successes? If you entered Wimbledon three times and won it every year, you'd tell, you'd brag about it, wouldn't you? Of course I would. Of course <laughs> I, would. I, would, I would say that um, middle Wimbledon a couple of years ago, I played uh, in an event with... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Gabi Muguruza and Martina Hingis uh, played a bit of doubles with them in a, in a press event, and both of those were lifting trophies at the end of the season. At the end of the deck win, <laughs> really? so, um, so uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it myself, but but you know, but I'll blow, I'll blow that particular trumpet. No, the only time I've played it, the only time I've played on the Emirates pitch, basically ended up with winning a trophy. So played in a press tournament, won the trophy. I, I never ever mentioned the fact that I beat Graham Stack with two or three, two from my three shots from outside. The box in a in a. I thought you were a goalkeeper. Do you mean be Graham Stack? Hey, I thought you were a goalkeeper. I'm not a goalkeeper. I'm, I'm a yeah, classy fullback. Oh, you should know that by now. Turn goalkeeper. I was saying. Call you the cast for different reasons. Then did turn goalkeeper because I've got a bit of a bad back. So where do you put a bloke with a bad back in goal? <laughs> uh, anyway, but there you go. Um, <laughs> I, I, I digress, and we shouldn't much longer. I, sh- I, I must point out, actually, on, on the on the final word on Solskjaer, was that basically, I mean, our colleague Steve Bates the other day, mm. you know, very, very well connected at, at Old Trafford, as we know, was saying that basically about Solskjaer on a new contract. And that really caught my eyes, kind of as, as a sort of a huge story and a bit of a sort, sort of a seismic moment, frankly, just because it feel, felt like it, 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 it's... You know, for that, it feels like a bit of a turning point, really, because you know, I mean, at various points this season, we've been on this show saying yeah. that Solskjaer must go, and now he could get a new contract. I'll tell you what, Crossy, when, when they beat Man City, um, I left the ground thinking, you know what, that'll, that'll, keep, that'll keep him in a job for another six months at least. Yeah, like maybe yeah, a year. yeah. <laughs> and lo and behold, look, they're talking about giving him a new contract. Toscar's got this amazing ability to pull a rabbit out of the hat when he has yeah. to, i.e. City or yeah. like PSG in the Champions League. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he curries so much favour with Ed Woodward. They're so close, those two. They have a strong relationship and... It's starting to dawn on us now, I think, that things have got to be going to have to get really, really grim. Isn't that a sign of what's a little bit not quite lined yes. up for Manchester United? Yes. In that Woodward's trying to get Solskjaer to sign a new contract to fend off interest from who exactly? 
Yeah. It's not like you well, can have the time. to Mulder, of course. Well, well, exactly. Well, if Mulder come knocking, then you've got to go with your heart, haven't you, really? And turn down the most lucrative job in football. I mean, Van Gaal won the FA Cup and got sacked in Why would they be talking about a new contract unless there's something mentally askew up there that 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 makes blindsides them to, to what's actually going on? You know, there's, there's no reason to give Solskjaer a new contract at the moment, whether you think he's doing a good job or not. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do still think if you step back from it, you're making a, a, a kind of, you know, if you separate yourself from, from the emotional attachment of Chelsea, I think that basically you'd have to say they're making progress. Mm. But I think that basically, you know, we judge Man United. The point is that I think that we judge Man United to a higher standard, don't we? Because we, mm. for most of our working lives, we, we, we've regarded Man United as the biggest club in, in the country, if not Europe. You know, it's the biggest club in the world, John. I mean, that's the thing. That's what they are. They are the yeah. biggest club in the world for everything that's Here's gone on. Here's a thought for you. Liverpool went 30 years without winning the title. That Could that could United do the same? Could, no. it, could it happen? Yes. It oh, could absolutely. happen. Oh, yes. Well, of, course, of course it can happen. You know, well, it's nearly a decade now. Yeah, and you've got some incredibly powerful teams around, haven't you? I mean, absolutely it can happen. If City stay, you know, in their, in their current... Sort of way of thinking and their, their their current setup, then you know. I mean, I mean, listen. What if Pep only? What if Pep does stay for another couple of years? Couple of two, three years. That's probably two, three years. United without the title, you know. All all these clubs, you know, the so called big six, are all showing no particular signs of slowing down. Arsenal maybe. Which, yeah, they could do Germany. They, they could easily do that. I think, I think the bigger concern, I think, for United, what slightly disappoints me about United is that, is that and I, I like Solskjaer, I think, you know, I mean, I really like him. I think he's a really personable guy. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't get carried away when they're doing well and he doesn't get particularly down when they're, when they're getting beaten. He, he dealt with, I think, with Pogba and the agent thing, you know, absolutely brilliantly, just like he so did, what, basically. He? Yeah, absolutely. So what? He, he, he dealt with it far better. I suspect him. We actually dealt with it, and um, you know, I, I don't like him. He's just such a nice bloke, isn't he? You know, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. But what my disappointment is that is I still look at United, you know, and you know what? I don't think they're absolutely brilliant to watch. I really don't. You know, I, 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 as a as, as someone without any Manchester United um, allegiance or non-allegiance, I am completely and utterly neutral about whether United do well or not. I look at them and I still don't recognise in in a lot of games um, United style and tradition. I don't see, even though I look at the players, I think it actually should be there. They've got enough good, exciting players for them to play in that way. But I still think, you know, if you're going, if you're neutral and you're going to pay your money to watch a team, it's going to be a city. It's going to be probably not right at this very moment, but certainly for the last two or three years, it's going to be a Liverpool. Mm. It might be a Leeds United, um, even. Uh, you know. But I just don't think that at the moment he hasn't got that that identity that I think United fans would want. But you don't look forward to going to watch no. him play, do you, Dunny? You no, go I don't thinking, think so, no. All right, they're probably going to win 2-0, yeah. but they're not going to have you on the edge of your seat. No, they don't. You go watch... Well, you used to watch go to watch Liverpool like last season, particularly. You'd think, Craig, are you going to get yeah. to, to, a, to a football show like with City this season? So, thirty I, years is a long time, isn't it? To not win title. If, if Sheikh Mansour continues to own Man City, he will continue to spend yeah. a lot of money because he's got the deepest pockets in football. So, yes. you know, they will always be 
on a level above Man United. Yeah, and I just think it's interesting, even you know, sort of you know what you would call you might call landmark results like another victory over City the other week. I mean, great, you know, and that's and, and, and fans will get a lot of pleasure out of that to a certain extent. It, there still has to come a time when you can't play in that way as Manchester United, i.e. you can't just simply play on the counter-attack. You mm. can't play against City and just accept that City are going to have a lot more of the football. You can't play into Liverpool and accept that Liverpool are going to have a lot more of the football. You are Manchester United. You know you are there to dominate games. I know that's a, maybe an idealistic point of view, but I think there comes a time when, when you know, okay, you might get results like you've got against City. But in the end... You know, there comes a time when you've got to be the ones on the front foot. And I just think too often, they're not the ones on the front foot. No, no, it's a, it's a very good point. Now, mm. you, you, you guys threw up the, the kind of, you know, who's good to watch. And, uh, you know, Leeds United, right up there for me this season. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Sharp, yeah. breath. Matt, Matt getting very excited about the prospect of talking about Leeds, who, who you might know that yeah. Matt used to cover with, with, you know, great distinction a few years back. Yeah. Um, but look, guys, you know, England squad, we, we, we're oh. expecting Patrick Bamford, you know, which created a lot of debate to, 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 to be in it. Uh, you know, Bamford is actually, I mean, I looked at that, you know, just to check actually, because, Saw, saw online that he'd got uh, 13 Premier League goals this season. I had to sort of kind of double check it because it's just, you know, there's been so much written and said about Bamford and scoring goals and maybe he's, he's been guilty of a couple of misses in, in, in recent games. But what a season he's having, isn't he? And what a season, you know, Leeds are, are, are having. They're, they're terrific to watch. And I, I actually personally think he, he deserves it. And I think it's nice that Leeds are getting a bit of recognition, I think, guys. Yeah, look, he's um, he's had a good season. Mm. He's playing in a team that that create a lot of chances because they're mm. very attacking minded. Um, they're a bit one dimensional in the way they play. I think if you're looking at Leeds as an overview, you think, well, you know, if they they've, they've done well this season, they've established themselves mid table, which is you know fantastic for your first yep. season back in the top flight. They now think, well, what what's the next step? Do we try and challenge for Europe? If they want to do that, they probably need to sharpen up at the back. Mm. Pretty, pretty vulnerable at the back at times. They concede a lot of goals from set pieces. So um, that's the next challenge for Bielsa. Um, and they need to be more adaptable during games because he has one way of going about it. And if it comes off, it makes him look brilliant. If it doesn't, they get a tonking. So, um, but yeah, Bamford's done well. He's, he's the leading scorer, Englishman, in the league this season. He above Kane. Uh, Kane, Kane, Kane has got a hell of a lot of goals in all competitions, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he's in the league. I think he's um, a giant top or he's top by one. Anyway, mm-hmm. I hope he gets picked. It'll be recognition. It'll it'll prove the fact that, you know, you don't have to be at one of the elite clubs to get mm. a look in with Southgate. If you're playing well, you get picked. Now, long term, <laughs> there's so many options available to Southgate in attack. Mm. You know, you could reel off 10 names. So is he at that level of a Kane? No. Um, or a Rashford? No. He's a different type of player, Bamford. He's not a link man. He's got good control. He's not got a lot of pace though, which I think will be his, it will count against him at, the, at that elite level of England. Southgate likes a lot of speed in his team up front. So, but no, fair play to him. If he gets picked, it's, it's deserved. And, um, you know, if he gets a game against San Marino or whoever, he could score. You know, yeah. he could do well. And then 
you know, he's on the fringes though for the Euros. I think it's too late for him to to probably do enough to get him a squad for the Euro. But you know, I think if you play well, you should be recognised. Yeah, he, I agree. With that. I mean, we, we are opening the door. Sorry, sorry. Can we just clarify that he's the third. Oh, is he right? Uh, Calvin Lewin and Kane are above him. But I would have yeah. to say this is the best ever breakthrough season I think a 27-year-old's ever had. I mean, right. that's the trouble. Chelsea signed him 2012 was when they identified someone with talent and said, let's pay a load of money to Lot Forest for this player. Hmm. If he was doing this in 2013, 2014, uh, then, then you'd be excited about it. But, you know, it hasn't happened for him for various reasons. Uh, and, and it is great that he's, he's having his moment in the sun at the moment, but I, I'm not quite sure what Southgate's doing, thinking let's bring him into the fold unless he's that sure numbers that, that you know, some of us it, should be bringing our boots. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just think, Matt, there is a case of what you think a national team's for. I know it's a, it's a broad, uh, very esoteric question, but, you know, should he be, should it also be a reward for how you play? You know, should it also be, should, yeah. you know, should you... Otherwise, we would just be picking players that they have their futures way ahead of them. And should it at times, well, well, actually, you know what? Do we do we think that Patrick Bamford is going to be a key figure in in, in the Euros this summer, or indeed in World Cup twenty twenty two in Qatar? Well, no, probably none of us do. But you know, should it be? You know, should you be overlooked just because of your age? Should you be overlooked just because you've been? A very slow burn, as suggestion Patrick Bamford is. I think it's just, I think it's just a nice message to send out. It's, it's a nice reward for him. What I would say is, one, I'm amazed because I thought when he went off injured at the game I was at last Saturday, it looked like a, a proper, you know, decent, I can't say decent, sort of serious looking injury. So, but clearly, Bielsa must have told um, Southgate that Bamford is fit and and and. Um, and can and, and can play, so I, I'm surprised at that. Secondly, the other thing with Bamford is, is that what I would say is that strange enough, after he did go off against Chelsea after about I can't remember half an hour, 25 minutes, Leeds really struggled without him. I mean, I mean, mm. he, he really has found a, a team in which he is absolutely central to, to to the way they play. He's everything to the way they play. You know, when he's there as the link man, as the fulcrum, as the target man up there. And linking that play, that is the way that. And when when he went off, I mean, bizarre as it seems, when you think about the great way they play Leeds, the fluency, you know, and the talented players they've got throughout the team. When Bamford went without Bamford, you just thought, you know, they look a different team. Uh, And every argument you've made there, Andy, is exactly the same reason why it was Mm -hmm. brilliant that Kevin Davis got twenty minutes playing for England. Yes, exactly. Um, You'll never take them away from. As long as we see it in that sort of bracket for Bamford, then then yeah, I agree. I mean. Yeah, Kevin Davis, <laughs> by rights, yeah, he was a young teenager when he was Chesterfield. Yes. Showed all that promise. Came back and he was the most pantomime 20 minutes at Wembley. It was like every long ball lumped up to him. And, and this was clearly going nowhere for England. He was doing nothing for England. And okay, if that's what Patrick Bamford decides in a time when Southgate's struggling for players, yes. play, but, but let's not get carried away that he's going to suddenly... Yeah, but yeah. what I mean is, we, 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 we right, mind, then fair enough. Yeah, no, perhaps yeah. Should, yeah. we've oh, seen, we've, 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 we are, yes, I, I, we have seen in the last yeah. year or so, particularly with certain players, you know, Connor Cody, example, springs to mind. And actually, he's one who might sort of book that trend. But just to start with, we've seen over these last year what, what it means to individual players to be. To be called up, we've seen, you know, in, in even over Zoom, you know, we, we've seen them in tears about being called up, about them 
you know, something to tell the children, the grandchildren, that's what it means. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that will be, and, and in Connor Cody's case, for example, when, when he's called up, you're thinking, you know, straight away. And he says that about what it meant to him and his family. And you're still thinking, well, actually, you know what, he's called up. We've got loads of centaurs and, and this will be nice for him. But after that, but as it happens, he has probably made himself now someone who will going forward will be a part of, of England going forward. And so it's not just a sort of, uh, sort of something for him to tell his kids about the, the, the time he had a run out against Denmark and Copenhagen in front of no one. This actually, he's now thinking, hang on, I could be part of this team. So that could happen to Bamford. He could come in he could, and, he, and, he, and he could establish himself. It's probably unlikely. But I think that is important that he means something. And, and, and you're right, you know, Kevin Davis, he's still got, I mean, it's funny, isn't it, really? Because I was thinking about it when, when, um, about those little, um, those cameos. We used to call David them. Nugent. Well, David, the two cap wonders we used to call them, your first and your last. And um, and do you remember, because because he moved recently, Ryan Shawcross was a belter on that front, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He got do you remember him coming on? Game, didn't he? Yeah. Do you yeah. remember against Sweden, the, the yeah. Ibrahimovic game? Yeah. And the poor guy, you know, who, who a lot of people have been talking about getting into the England team, eventually gets into the squad. That's the whole Aaron Ramsey business. Gets into the squad, then comes on against Sweden as a sub, gets done by Slatten early on in that, whatever. Slatten goes on to score to three or four, oh. um, including that goal. goal. And then, yeah. and that was it. And that is, you, you know, now it's funny, I, I'm not sure whether Shawcross will be... Um, um, telling his grandkids about his one. No. Who was the centre? Who was the centre? Oh, remember that time I played for England? Who was the centre half who got horribly, horribly turned on the edge of the box against Spain? And I was just thinking, oh my days, who was it? Anyway, gone out my anyway, head. But the one, right, the one I always right. look to, and you know, um, it, 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 the cameo one is Jay Bothroyd. Yes. Jay Bothroyd, right? Basically, you know, incredibly talented guy and you you know very nice guy I must say in my experience and then basically it just means the world to him you know whatever he does in his in his career basically I always remember I, was, I saw him after the game you know he was with his family after after the game leaving Wembley and I saw him and it, it just meant the world to him that, that yeah. night when he, yeah. when he played for England I mean yeah. it was just the culmination of everything that he'd worked yeah. to driven to in his in his career yeah. people will knock his achievements in the game the thing is, as well, right. Crossy, he's that, better than all of us. He's done that, better than all of us. He's achieved all of our dreams yes. by playing for England. Since um, what an achievement! What an yeah. achievement! Since and while South- that is the pinnacle, England will always be important. <laughs> yeah. Southgate's been good on that since he took mm-hmm. over as manager. He's, he's made players cherish the shirt and and, and enjoy, try to learn to enjoy being an England player. Yep. You know, we saw for decades, didn't we? Or, well, years at least. That several players admitting and skulls or. They hated joining up with England because of all the who are mm. pressure that went with it and the negativity. And Southgate's done well to change that perception. Yeah, he has. I, I always say it can be lucrative as well because I, I once picked up ten pounds off Bill Bradshaw, um, a former sports editor from uh, when I was doing the player ratings for an international in 2012, and put against Fraser Campbell's name, uh, decent cameo for his first and last England appearance. Obviously, Sunderland's number one fan came. You can't put that in my paper in my section. Uh, and we we had a ten pound bet on it, which was payable on Fraser Campbell's thirtieth birthday. That if he had another cap before then, uh, then then I, I would uh, have to pay Mr. Bradshaw his ten pounds. And uh, and uh, Bill Julie came up with the goods, but 
But yeah, there's certain Blimey. players that come into the squad that you Blimey. think. There's Dory Revelling in predicting someone's demise. It's like, yeah. it's it's one those, yeah. like but it's one of those selections that you think this is going nowhere. You can see it's off the moment. Guess uh, what? I predicted this guy wasn't going to Maybe you should just be England manager, Dudley. That, you know, that's just, well, just to hey. hell with it. What just see Revelling is if uh, he, he recalls Luke Shaw, because Luke Shaw, I've seen a lot of Shaw this season, he's playing really, really well for United. Yeah. He looks I, funny I, like I, that player I, I they signed all those years ago. But Yeah, I think he should, and I also think that basically that should mean then that Mikayo Saka should be, should be considered. I mean, he has got a hamstring injury, I have to say, so I don't know whether he'd be really, you know, fit to completely give his all for England. But basically, you know, I think he should be considered as a forward. I think he's the best young player in in the country. And yes, I do include Phil Foden simply because of his sheer importance to one particular team right now. And I just think that Foden, you know, arguably is going to be a better long-term player and turn out, you know, but we could have this debate all day, but yeah. it'd really be really interesting. But I hope Shaw gets in. He certainly deserves to on, on performances. Guys, we do we do welcome some questions and, and we've had a hell of a lot about saying about Gabriel Martin, Martinelli, what's gone on there. But, the, uh, uh, you know, which, you know, clearly a brilliant, brilliant player. But here's one that I saw from e- e- Ethan uh, Henson earlier. Um, just saying that basically, and, and Danny, you referred to this earlier, how was that basically, does oh, Sterling yeah. still get in Gareth Southgate's best 11? I have to say, absolutely, categorically, I, I think yes. But what, what do we think, guys? Um, on those, in Southgate's best, I was saying, um, yes, I do. I, I, I think he does. I, I, I think, well, I mean, just basically the answer is yes. I think he, I think he should get in Pep Guardiola's best 11, but at the moment, mm-hmm. I don't think Guardiola probably thinks um, that. But yes, I think he, I think I think he does get in England's best eleven. I, I think it's it's been shown. He's been show, He's shown on so many occasions the the um, how important he is to England and combinations with other players, you know, and with Harry Kane. And I would stick with him at the moment. Yeah, I don't I don't see any reason to change that. I don't see any reason. I don't think he's had his best season, um, Raheem Sterling. Certainly, I don't think he's had his best season. You know, in front of goal. Um, I think we, we we've all known throughout his career that the finishing can be a bit, how should you say, mercurial. You know, sometimes it can be absolutely inspired. Sometimes it can be fairly uninspiring. But yes, absolutely, I, I, I've still got in my first choice England team. That's for sure. Yeah, the, the the door is open, guys, for a new goalkeeper, mm. isn't it? Because we've got these three back to back without Jordan Pickford because mm. he's out now for two three weeks. You know. Does- <laughs> Nick, should Nick Pope play them all, basically? And and, and does, do we think that He's Nick Pope is a viable contender to, to, to be number one at, at the Euros this summer if he does well? Nick Pope's never conceded a goal for England, has he? <laughs> still, still not done it. He's close. I think it's Peter Shilton or something, the record, first six games or something. He, he could break that this week. What I would say is let's not play goalkeeper number four, five and six in, in these internationals. Let's, Jordan Pickford's going to come back you know, touch wood. He's going to play in the Euros. He's going to be England's top three, one of their top three choices. Let's give a goalkeeper at least two games, uh, you know, possibly all three in Nick Pope to give them some experience because that's the big problem. He's behind Pickford. No one's got any experience. And if you share that out, you know, widely between three other candidates, suddenly you've got nobody with any experience. Uh, And I think this is an opportunity, I hope, uh, for Southgate to make a decision on who is his number two is, if you like, and uh, and stick with him for perhaps all three games to start building some rapport with the defenders in front of him. He took Pickford. He took Pickford to Russia with no experience. 
He played about three times for England before he went to the World Cup. That's what I mean. You can't take a whole squad of goalkeepers with no It's a pickle, this. We're back to pickles, sorry. (laughs) Because for Southgate, simply because Pope will probably be his his starting goalkeeper in this next run of games. And if Pope plays really well, what does he do with Pickford? Does he does he go back to Pickford come June? Does he stick with Pope? The problem he's got with Henderson, of course, is not well. He's he's played lately at United because De Gea got um, allowed to go back home. But um, Henderson's not played enough this season really to make a judgment on him. So and he he, he should have done better with the AC Milan equaliser last week. So that he didn't do himself any favours there. So it's an interesting scenario the goalkeeper situation because there are still people who aren't convinced Pickford should be number one. Yeah. You know, he's still capable of the of the um, calamitous mm. mistake. So, you know, it's not... But not so much for England, though. That's been Southgate's point. And if he believes in Pickford as his number one, he's got to pick a number two, whether that's Henderson or Pope. He's got to make a decision, mm. you know, from what he sees in the start of training in this get-together and go with that goalkeeper for at least two and if not three of the games. Yeah, I agree with if that. He, yeah. If he fancies Henderson, then go with him. If yeah. he thinks Pope's going to be playing more yeah. often, then go with him, but you can't spread that experience between too many people because mm. you only need one, possibly two goalkeepers yeah. in a tournament. But, lads, don't forget, I mean, it's San Marino, it's Albania, it's Poland at home. You know, Crossy can play in goal. I'll tell you I mean, what, m- m- maybe I use for Poland, but let's see. Let's, let's, into that other game against San Marino. You I mean, what, what sorts of rapport are they going to build up with, with, with the rest of the team? You know, I mean, what is that? Shout at them from distance. I mean, I just, I honestly think that the goalkeeper situation is like with a lot of England's game now to build up to a tournament. You can take, you take the best, the goalkeeper who's in the best form going into a tournament. You know, whoever that may be, in the closing weeks and months of, of this season, that's the goalkeeper. Whether it be, listen, if Henderson keeps his place in Manchester United team and is outstanding, I'd start with him. If Pope has a good end of the season, I'd start with him. If Pickford comes back and, and whatever. I, I'm not, I, I, I genuinely think um, games at home to San Marino, way to Albania, then home to Poland are pretty much in the grand goalkeeping scheme of things pretty irrelevant in terms of who's going to who's gonna start. I mean, for what it's worth, I think, you know, long-term, it's probably Henderson will be his number one keeper going forward long-term. But I would just literally play who's the best, who's who's been keeping the best goal between now and the end of the season in club football. Mm. He's not going to learn much, is he doing it? That's the point. What's he going to learn, you know, from his goalkeeper, whoever he picks against him? What I'd say, though, in the modern the, the game at the moment, is so much football's played across using the goalkeeper as, as a sweeper that actually you pick who you're going to want. He's not going to suddenly show himself to be a great goalkeeper, but he's going to get used to picking the ball up from Trent Alexander-Arnold, knocking it on to Harry Maguire or whatever. Uh, and just those simple things that can go calamitously wrong. You've got 90 more minutes of having stood there, got used to that in an England shirt under the spotlight and not having mucked up. Uh, and uh, and that's what I mean. You, you're right. You're not going to learn anything about his goalkeeping prowess, but but he's going to feel more comfortable when he's in a bigger game and, and the ball's rolling across his area to him to just do the simple things well. And, and that's all you can give a goalkeeper is a bit of that experience. And San Marino is capable of belting the ball forward and having you know um, somebody Luke Shaw turn it back to the goalkeeper and just play football for a little bit. And that's all you can get as a goalkeeper from these games. You would hope. 
Yeah, yeah, you would hope so. Listen, guys, I'm going to move on to something a bit, you know, uh, much more serious, really, and and this week, and and, and you know, um, just about, um, uh, you know, on the Sheldon report this week. Uh, now, I think you know most of us have written about it uh, today, and it, it's something that obviously has really shocked football uh, to its to its to its very core. Um, you know, one of the clubs obviously inextricably linked to to this scandal because of you know uh, people that have worked there, Dario Gradi, who's obviously now we learn has been banned from 2016, and Barry Burnell, who obviously worked there as a coach, and now you know linked to to Crew Alexandra and Andy, you you know Crew, mm. you know so so well, and you know covered the club, didn't you? You know for. Uh, as well, and kind of no, no people there. How much is how much has this scandal shocked you, and how much of uh, you know what sort of you know lessons can be learned moving forward for football? Because it, 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 you know, we're talking about many years ago, but mm-hmm. this week I think has still stunned us all. You know, hasn't it really about the sheer levels of of abuse going on in football years gone by? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I think we'll be I think we'll be even more stunned after. The BBC is its um, three-part documentary, and which starts on Monday. Um, and I think you will be even more um, shocked um, and horrified after that um, three-part documentary, "Football's Darkest Secrets." You know, I mean, I think I think the Sheldon report has not has not particularly shocked. Um, well, shocked any people with it who have shown an interest in such a terrible scandal. You know, it was four; it was over four years in the in the publication. And to be quite frank, it's you know, it's it's a long report with you know, and and there are no accusations, there are no heads on stakes, there are no smoking guns. It, it, it's it's basically what what you what you might expect. My fear, you know, you're right. I, I know I know the area well, and I know, I know the club. I also. I also know a couple of the survivors um, quite well, um, and I think they are. I think we we shouldn't lose sight. I've written this this morning. We shouldn't lose sight that they are still out there, and they are still, as you can imagine, to varying degrees, struggling to cope with the mm-hmm. with, with the unimaginable um, torture that they've been through. And I just think that we must always remember that while we're trying to say, well, you know, what lessons are to be learned. How do we, you know, make things better going forward? Um, we look for systemic failures. Let's just forget that, you know, what happened to these people happened on football's watch, you know, not just Drew Alexander's watch or Manchester City's watch or any individual club's watch. It happened on football's watch and football's now got that responsibility to still look after the survivors and their families. And and listen, you know, there, there, there are, you know, there are survivors who... To be honest, you didn't survive. I mean, let, let's get that right, you know. So, and their families need looking after. And I think, I think we we should not lose sight of that. And they should be looked after, or tried to be looked after in any way possible. And listen, if that means, you know, if, if that means it, um, we bring footballs, you know, financial might to help out people, it, it, whatever way we can, we've got we've got to think that. I think now the you know the ramifications of the Sheldon report, as I say, are I mean probably not that great in the sense that you know I, I mean Gary Cliff, one of those survivors, mm. um, you know, said he didn't think it had gone up far enough, um, and you know I don't think when you when you look at that and you come out to it, you think well actually you know here's here's something that we can we can say oh it was you to blame it was this to blame it was whatever. <laughs> 
I just think, as I say, I just think, I think going forward, yes, of course, it's, it's just so important that we, 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 everyone does the best to make sure that this, anything like this, not even the semblance of it can happen again. But also, as I say, I just think those people continue, the victims continue to be out there and suffer and they continue to be, they should be football's priority. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it was, it was a uh, very sobering date. So, uh, you know, thoughts with it. And it'll be very interesting. We'll watch that BBC documentary next week, as, as you rightly say. Mm. Um, listen, we, we, we are going to try, you know, to uh, uh, finish on, on a funny note and just without sort of kind of and finally um, uh, uh, at, at the end there. And, uh, and I think he... Uh, uh, on the back of a very sort of kind of sobering day yesterday, a few people were amused to see a sort of a story on on uh, appear suddenly about an allegation that Terry Fennick, the former England defender, um. had, um, <laughs> which was quite remarkable, had allegedly headbutted a press officer in some sort of row and dispute while <laughs> managing abroad. And um, and I was just going to ask you, really, sort of for recollections, guys, of perhaps your funniest. Um, or, or most bizarre uh, press conference um, memory. Of, well, on the subject oh, of sobering, go on, sorry. Ironic that you mentioned sobering because I think you might have been at this press conference, Dunny. Were you at the Anderlecht press conference with Leeds in <laughs> 2001? I vaguely recall it, yes. So we turned up at Anderlecht. Leeds were playing them in the Champions League and um, they'd set aside this room for David O'Leary's press conference. But at the back of the room was a free bar. So the, the guy who was stood on the door basically just said, help yourself to a beer, lads, if you want one. And so we were like, it was like a red rag to a bull, <laughs> several, several bulls. So we all basically went behind the bar and just started pouring our own beers. And O'Leary was really late. So he was like an hour late, I remember. By the time he got to the, the press conference, we were literally half, half drunk. And it, so we, so I went and sat down with a beer and was feeling, I probably had about four or five beers by this point. It was strong Belgian beer, obviously. <laughs> and one man who shall remain nameless remained behind the bar during the press conference. O'Leary was just looking over, looking totally perplexed by what was going on. There was lots of giggling at the back of the room and general <laughs> sort of infantile behavior from grown men. And like there was a press guy stood behind the bar asking him questions while he stood behind the bar with a pint in his hand. And then the following day, we played the um, the Belgian press, and it was humiliating. People being sick at the side of the pit, <laughs> just passing out. I've never felt as horrific as I did that day on a football pitch. It was it was horrendous. Way too much alcohol to be consumed. So that's one of my that's one of my favourite press conferences. You won't be surprised give, to hear. Give it, give it us a good rep here, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Thanks and, for that. Thanks do you, do, are you aware? Or were you there? Um, if I if I say David Seaman and Legoland to you. No, I wasn't there, but it's an absolute belter. It is. It is. It's at a time when um, um, there was a big North London derby coming up. Big, massive North London derby, as if you know, every North London derby is massive, obviously. And they, um, and I, I mean, David Seaman, David Seaman, as we all know, was was quite reticent at times. I mean, like you know, when he was on duty, international duty, you'd walk through the hotel, and David Seaman, you know, be walking the other way, and you'd say, 
Morning, Simo. And he's just looking, oh, you're not getting me on that one. <laughs> Cinco morning, Paolo. Yeah. And there was also, and then there was a famous time, of course, one of our um, um, one of our colleagues ghosted his column at one tournament and and, and and they were beaten. Who were they beaten by? They were beaten by, I can't remember. They were beaten by, beaten by someone, a couple of goals. It will, re- well, basically, the column in. Seaman says, oh, like, we went through the video and like you know, we analysed this and analysed that and we went through and we have the specialist coaches in whatever. And they said, what was the conclusion? He says, oh, just one of those things, wasn't it? And then, if you remember, the World Cup, in World Cup 2002, David Seaman wouldn't speak to us for the entire tournament. And then, when after the quarterfinals, of course, he'd been, um, let's say, complicit in England losing, he came into the mix zone wanting to talk, was in tears, and was famously booed by one of our by one of our colleagues who should remain nameless. Oh, no, you've got to name him. No, no, I can't. He, he, he's now retired. Um, I, can't, I can't possibly. But I've got to say, the, the, great, the great story about that one but, also. Now, I'm coming to the other story. Like, but go on. Well, it was just very quickly on that one. He was in tears in the mix zone. Who, was? Should, who should comfort him and try to say, don't worry, David, it's yes. all right. It'll be okay. You've had a wonderful career. Check, try to it? sort of show him. Mark Irwin. Was it Mark Irwin? Yeah, well, let's just say it was one of Mark Irwin's colleagues who actually booed him into the mix zone. <laughs> to be fair, David Seaman hadn't spoken to us for the entire tournament and then watches one of Ronaldinho's go in and then and then he comes in tears into the mix zone. But the Lego Land one's a classic because so it's ahead of a North London derby. And um, and it was you know, it, it was real. I mean, tensions were running high apparently ahead of this derby. And then we find out as you sometimes do. That a player through his contractual, his commercial contracts is, is actually doing an appearance for someone, you know, and promoting something. And David Seaman is down at Legoland in Windsor, <laughs> opening some ride at Legoland. So all the boys and girls troop down there to like, you know, so it's Thursday before the weekend's game, right? So this Legoland ride opens this. Seymour so you know, like comes into the press and right, well, like, this is a great ride, this Legoland. You know, I've told you about my fishing down the lake by Legoland. And then someone so says to him, like, you know, okay, well, listen, you know, big game Saturday, bit of a six-pointer, you know, bragging rights. Oh, 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 oh. I'm only talking about Lego. What? <laughs> so, so the brief was, you could only ask David Seaman ahead of a North London derby about Lego. So, 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 so the, the, everyone's piling in saying, okay, well, listen, let's imagine Tony Adams is one of those big Lego bricks. You know, the ones you use at the base of one of those big Lego hardware. And so and so is Lego. In terms of Lego, how important? <laughs> so we do an entire press conference, basically, with the North London Derby reimagined as some Lego encounter. <laughs> and David only talking about Lego. I mean, it's just, well, I mean, I mean a great one. And, and, and we were all sober. Brilliant, brilliant. Love it, love it, love it. What was the final conclusion? If if both teams were Lego, who would win? It was basically, (laughs) essentially, it it was that. It it was, it it was like, you know, and I'm not sure sure he saw the the, the funny side or bought into it, but of course we all know that when people have gone to press conference and they want to espouse the virtues of whatever they're being paid to promote. But yes, Lego, one one of the the most classic. Yeah, Matt? Well, again, I'm following Andy, aren't I? But, um, <laughs> ra- ra- rather than the, the press conference with the worst with the worst questions, I'm going to try and trump that with the, the press conference with no questions, which was uh, when uh, in Blackburn when Satanta were first trying to 
to battle with Sky Sports News and their 24-hour rolling television coverage. And written papers were being shoved aside so that these two heavyweights could, could really get locked into all the press conferences. And we were kind of made to watch around the edges. Um, and, and one morning at Blackburn, Satanta, obviously doing it on the cheap as they were, used to just send cameramen to certain press conferences um, and not a reporter. Uh, and Sky, on this particular occasion, the Sky reporter was stuck in snow, I think it was, uh, and had was half an hour late. But they had to get going to get, Mark Hughes wanted to get training underway, so they started it. So the, the press conference, genuine, the entire press conference lasted of any questions, at which point they realised there was not a single re- television reporter in the room so there was a stunned silence. The press officer nudged a couple of the press guys and said, can you ask a question? And we were like, saying, no, we're not doing that because we're going to get our two minutes that you give us afterwards. We're not wasting it on them. And then eventually a cameraman said, is there any team news, Mark? Because he, he basically shouted that from behind the camera. Uh, and Mark Hughes went through the list of injuries and said, right, is that it then? Yes, gents. And that was it. That was the end of the press conference. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that was probably the most worthwhile period there. They, they set it up on all the cameras, and and it's all done for television. And and actually, there was no one there to ask any questions. Love Which it. Like when Rig started, got a seat for a manager. Do you remember you that one, Jez? Which one? When they unveiled the the chair as a new manager, they thought they were going to sign Martin O'Neill as a new. Oh yeah, and he yeah, called a press conference and went through with it, even yeah. though they hadn't got the deal with, and he was there. <laughs> Having a press conference next yeah. to the That's yeah. funny, yeah. What's your eyes crossing? Oh, dear. I was hoping you... So, while you're thinking of it, Crossy, of course, what, 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 one, of the, um, what, one of the great ones, obviously, I mean, and God rest his soul, I mean, going back, Graham Taylor. Yeah. You know, do I, you know the World Cup, uh, the, um, the, the, the press conference, uh, put a smile on your face, Rob. I mean, that's got to go down as one of the all-time classics, hasn't Joe it? Joe Kinnear? Oh, Joe Kinnear, yes. <laughs> that was about... I mean, I wasn't there, but I read the transcript. I, I would have loved to have been in that room for that press conference. That was remarkable. Well, a, a really silly, similar one to, uh, to to Matt, actually, that I remember, was there was some sort of kind of, you know, some sort of row behind the scenes or something, you know, sort of an arsenal, really, and sort of ahead of a... Head of a uh, a, a game and so basically you know uh, Wenger always used to do a little separate for the newspapers and in the golden days we'd just sort of kind of also have him, get him in a little separate room and sort of kind of he'd, he'd be really good fun great entertainment blimey served up a few of my a few chapters from my book you know in that uh, <laughs> in that in that in that wonderful room but anyway so there's a bit of a dispute going on basically he's saying oh he won't do a separate today because he got the hump over something I always suspect it's probably the press officer who's got the hump rather and Wenger who just didn't seem to worry about anything. I always remember a great story about, you know, basically he made some spurious remark about how he wouldn't basically manage Real Madrid even if he was on the street. And I think someone, someone paper dressed him up as a tramp. We only mentioned this sort of like <laughs> tramp in the, in the intro and apparently he was fuming about this. I saw him a few days later at an airport and basically said, oh, sorry about that. And then he said, what are you going on about? Didn't have the, fog, the foggiest really. So any Anyway, but basically, um, 
we were told the the press conference would have to be all in, as they say, basically. So all your questions would basically be, you know, filmed and used uh, for the benefit of TV. And we always, as newspaper journalists, we're all so precious and so self-important that, of course, we always think our press, you know, our questions are always better. And of course they are. Um, but basically, you know, so wasn't best pleased about this anyway. So, so anyway, the day previous day, uh, Arsenal were trying to sign Gary Cahill at the time from um, from Bolton and had made a ludicrously low offer. And the Bolton chairman had come out publicly effing and blinding about Arsenal's offer. And basically, so, so being particularly childish that day, I repeated quite literally what the Bolton chairman had said uh, so that the TV cameras would immediately have to stop filming. <laughs> and so it was, yeah, so I like to think of that as a small, tiny little victory um, in, being, in, being silly, in being a really particularly silly one, really. But, um, but there you go. The one that also sort of kind of, you remember, sort of the Andorra, Steve McLaren. Oh, yes. When basically he got the, you know, after telling... After telling sort of the, the, apparently looking as if he was sort of encouraging the England team bus driver to sort of try and run over <laughs> one of our colleagues because yeah. he had so much of the hump about basically what had been said and written. And then basically he only took, I think, two questions. Right what you want, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, write what you want. And basically, you know, I, I, I asked, you know, I was particularly having a particularly sort of, you know, a uh, difficult relationship with him with him at the time and basically I was one of the ones to to ask one of the questions and and basically stormed out after the question and basically there he is kind of you know storming out of the room and whenever Sky run a piece on Steve McLaren there I am at the front of the press conference laughing my head off at the sheer bizarre nature of this press conference which isn't I have to say a very good look at all apologise Steve um, and, and basically that that was it really so uh, anyway yeah most bizarre no one ever trumped Dunny so we might as well give it up so but anyway but there you go but guys nice to see you all and um, thanks so much for your company it's Champions League draw of course tomorrow yeah. so uh, so it'll be very interesting to see what, what everyone gets Europa League tonight and uh, in England squad in the meantime so plenty to go on hope we've uh, kept you entertained and thanks so much for watching um, and hopefully see you same time same place next week 